Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Mike Evans, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and today we're bringing on another very special guest. This gentleman is well known in the Twitter streets for his ninja skills in projections, analytics, uh, and everything in between. You can find him on Twitter at two hats, one Mike. He is Mike Leone, uh, now of established the run, formerly of uh, formerly over there at Daily Roto, I guess he's he's joined up with uh, Evan Silva and Adam Levitan and the great crew that they have over there at ETR. Mike, welcome to the pod, brother. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk some football. It's nice that you know we're in the midst of sports coming back and knock on wood, hopefully everything you know goes pretty well for NBA, NFL. Oh, it's going to go. Sw- it's going to go swimmingly for all involved. That's including us, of course. Just a quick reminder: uh, over to establish the run, these guys are launching their hoops DFS package. So the NBA uh, DFS package for the restart. I, when when does the restart? I, I I know I have a couple of tickets for that uh, NBA return millionaire maker. I think it's on Thursday, isn't it? Yeah, it comes back Thursday. Thursday. There's a two game slate this Thursday, and then there's games like all day on Friday. So not only do they have that product, they've just launched their uh, NBA DFS package. Uh, that includes some really good, uh, I mean, just some very formidable formidable names in NBA DFS, like Drew Dinkmeyer and stuff that's behind the product over there. And then, um, of course, the, the NFL package. You guys know Evan Silva. You guys know Levitan. Uh, you guys know that they have uh, Brandon Thorne over there that does awesome offensive line ranking stuff. Evan Silva's top 150. Um, all great offerings over there at Establish the Run that you can uh, have as part of their NFL draft kit. So make sure and go give them a look over there at EstablishTheRun.com. We certainly appreciate Mike taking some time today to talk to us. And just man, for people who might not know you, Mike, I guess I don't even know. What, what, um, you've gotten so well-known with your – you know, your analytic approach to these different sports and everything you do, how did you get into, you know, the science of the the science of data and um, analytics and everything it is that you're so immersed in these days? Yeah. You know, back when I was in college, like 10, 15 years ago, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and ended up switching my major several times and ended up with a mathematics degree more or less because, you know, I was kind of good at it and I didn't know what else to do. Uh, Right around that time, I started writing for a season long fantasy baseball website called Fantistics. And 
Drew Dinkmeyer was a writer over there as well. And that's when DFS was like first getting started. So him and I would just work together, random spreadsheets, very rudimentary stuff, like trying to figure out NBA DFS. And it just sort of evolved from there, like just trying to get better. I took some online data science courses to try and improve my skills. You know, DFS has really gone through this evolution from when it first started to where it is now, where you've really got to be on your A game. The competition has risen quite a bit. So I've just tried to stay ahead of that curve as much as possible. Well, do you, uh, and do you consider yourself mainly a DFS player? Do you like, do you, how much, how, how much of your brain power is focused towards DFS and how much is focused towards season long, or is it just kind of seasonal? Because, you know, maybe during, during, during this time of year, you might look more season long, but maybe you invest a little bit more of your, uh, a little bit more of your brain energy towards DFS in season. How does, how, how does that work for a guy like you? It's a little bit seasonal, like you mentioned, but you know, moving over to establish the run, I've been able to dive into season-long fantasy football again, which for a few years, I was really DFS-centric. And it's kind of a, you know, a fresh breath of air to be able to work on the season-long fantasy. Like It's a different game. I think, honestly, I, I, to a certain extent, you get a little burned out playing DFS slate after slate that right. the season-long fantasy from just a pure enjoyment standpoint, it's probably a little bit more fun for me right now. Uh, nothing tops, you know, just drafting a team, which is why I like best ball leagues a lot because uh, obsessed with the drafts, not obsessed so much as uh, with the in-season management. <laughs> right. It, it, it can be, it can be, it, it can be cumbersome, dude, to, to say the very least going through the entire season, especially when you play in as many leagues as some of, you know, as I play or some of our followers play, of course, we're, we're, we're pretty focused on, you know, season long fantasy football and, and uh, best ball and stuff like that. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I thought I found it so interesting, an article you had at Establish the Run that I read back in June. And as I think back on it, you know, there were a couple of key takeaways that I had, but you were the author of this study and it was about stacking in season long formats. And so I, I just like there's a couple a couple of little branches of this tree I'd like to talk to you about, but for our season long listeners who might not know what stacking is, it's a very popular method of attack in DFS whereby you, you know, I mean, very, in very simple terms, you you pick like a quarterback and a wide receiver who are on the same team. This way, whenever your quarterback throws a touchdown to that wide receiver, you're basically double dipping on the points. You're picking up double the points it gives you a higher upside while also I would imagine, you know, in, in, intuition would say sort of lowers your floor because you have so many eggs in one basket. There are, there are other ways you can stack. People have talked about a defense running back stack, or, you know, they've talked about maybe stacking one quarterback with an opposing number one wide receiver and all this stuff like that, because of the correlations that exist between those two players and their given outcomes. People, maybe it feels like in the last kind of two to three years, people have started talking about stacking in best ball, especially with the advent of all these big tournaments, um, because you have to beat so many others to, you know, to take down the, you know, the big tournament over on draft or the one that they had at NFFC um, that I'm not sure if it's still going now, but at least they had it pre-draft. It was a, a big, uh, a big tournament there. You wrote this article about stacking and just regular season long redraft formats. And so I, I, I'd like to know just did your study find that it is indeed a worthy strategy? Yeah, it did. And it was, you know, at Taylor Kaby at established the run, one of the co-founders over there, he sort of got me onto this topic when I first started over there thinking that, you know, it's an underutilized strategy. And I was 
intuitively thinking, you know, maybe a little bit, but I don't know if there's a lot there. And what I found digging into it is there is a lot there. And honestly, Alex, it's really exceedingly simple. It's if an offense does well over the course of a season, all the players generally do better than expected. And I know that sounds like really (laughs) simple, but like, that's sort of what it boils down to is I looked at quarterbacks who had a hit for a season and a hit was, you know, they had better than the median quarterback score and they outperformed what we would expect based on their ADP. And when quarterbacks hit, you know, the receivers hit at a much higher rate than they normally would, you know, based on the round that they were taken in. And it extended, you know, not just to one pass catcher, but to multiple pass catchers. And we've seen some really interesting seasons over the past, you know, three years or so. There were probably about 11 quarterbacks who were like big hits. So about three to four a year. And we've seen some huge seasons from their pass catchers. Uh, In Kansas City, back in 2017, you had Alex Smith with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Like they blew their ADPs out of the water when he did. Uh, you had Dak Prescott in, you know, in 2019 uh, with a huge season and it, Jason Witten, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Blake Jarwin, all these guys scored more than you would expect based on where they were drafted. So it's not just one main pass catcher benefiting. It's a bunch of guys. And the reason why I think it's applicable to redraft leagues and not just best ball leagues is because it's this season long correlation. It's not just the spiked weeks that we're chasing in best ball. Those spiked weeks help because when you get into the playoffs, you want that upside. But over the Mm -hmm. course of the season, it's you're just more likely to buy having all your eggs in one basket, as you put it, you need one thing to go right, right? You need this offense to succeed. And then all of a sudden your two pass catchers and your quarterback do very well. And in your good shape versus needing three separate things like a quarterback and two uncorrelated pass catchers to hit. So that's sort of the theory behind it. And even in a regular 12 team league, it's a top heavy payout structure, right? Like first is getting most of the prize money. You're usually not paying out more than three spots. So the fact that it lowers your floor, that's fine because we don't really care about finishing fifth or sixth. You know, we're just trying to finish in the top three. And if we bust out and finish 10th, you know, it doesn't matter that we finish 10th instead of fifth. It's, it's, Finishing, yeah, finishing fourth is really no different than <laughs> finishing finishing tenth or eleventh, especially if, uh, you know, especially if you look. Uh, most payout structures are, you know, if they base a, a lot of people base it on poker, you know, what kind of sit and go table stuff where it's 50, 30, 20 and stuff. But sometimes it's even higher. Like you would think that maybe in a league that's winner take all, it would be, it would be more, it would, it would be better deployed in even a league like. I mean, that just has to make sense, right? If if it's a winner take all league, you should probably be stacking. Yeah, the more steep the payout structure is, probably the more correlation you want. the The higher risk, higher reward strategy you want in general, whether it's stacking or you know some other strategy that you know gives you a lot of upside, even if it makes your team a little bit fragile. So, it, from your findings, is it be- so? If we're wanting to employ this strategy, is it better to? Um, have you found it is like as far is is there an opportunity cost with with you know deploying this strategy if you wanted to go with like a Patrick Mahomes and a Travis Kelsey or a, a Patrick Mahomes and a Tyreek Hill um uh, you know an expensive a relatively expensive stack maybe uh Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper would be a little bit cheaper but somebody you would you know DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray I'm you know trying to think about quarterbacks that are going high that have primary pass catching options that are going high that I think of like nuclear options that are stacks 
is that from an opportunity cost perspective and from an optimal roster build perspective and redraft, a lot of those picks comes at times when people would like to be filled, building the foundation of their teams through the running back position. Um, could, is, is it okay? Like, would you look at like more middling options? Like the first that came to my mind would be like Matt Stafford with maybe a Kenny Galladay make, because mm-hmm. Stafford, you can get super late Galladay. Sometimes we see falling into the, at least late fourth, um, third round. Maybe it's something you could do with a, I'm trying to think like Mike Evans falls in that category. Cause you do it with like Evans and Brady, uh, uh just uh, what, how important is it that you want these, like two, these like super tip top guys. I don't think it's super important to be, you know, have the super tip top guys. Like I'm okay getting the foundation of your team and then, you know, how things play out could determine your stack. Like I think Tampa Bay has a bunch of upside this year. So if you take Godwin and Evans at the two, three turn after starting with a stud running back, you know, you're just going to be cognizant of maybe taking Brady in the ninth, 10th, instead of waiting a little bit longer than you normally would. But in general, I like a lot of the mid tier stacks. I think the Rams are very stackable. I, I like these teams where you don't have to put in the premium picks and you still get the correlated upside. So like you can get Cup and Woods in around the fourth round. You know, you can get Higby in the late single digits and golf is really cheap. So you can double stack that. I think the Pittsburgh guys are underpriced and Juju Smith-Schuster especially, but even James Conner, who's a pass catching back where, you know, you can take Big Ben then, you know, you don't have to get these really expensive quarterbacks for it to work. Another one's Atlanta that I'm in on because you've got three pretty obvious pass catching targets to focus on with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Hayden Hurst. I will say if I'm in best ball leagues, I'm more prone to pay for like a really premium stack because I think there's some ancillary benefits. Like I picked 12th in a recent underdog draft and I started Kelsey Hill and was able to get Mahomes in the third round to start with that big stack. And part of the reason why I like it better for best ball is you, you only have to take two quarterbacks and two tight ends, right? Like if you're taking a Mahomes Kelsey stack and then you can devote more resources to other positions. So like there's this ancillary benefit you get in best ball, just based on the roster allocations that you don't get in a regular redraft league that I think make it more amenable to pay for a really expensive stack. But certainly my research showed that if you are going to take an expensive quarterback, you really want that quarterback to be stacked. You know, I know it's, sometimes easier said than done to figure out stacking and you don't want to be taking guys like two rounds ahead of ADP and losing some of the value of stacking by just paying really high prices for guys. But you know, if you're taking guys around of ADP ahead, I think that's fine. If you're taking a quarterback in the first six rounds or so, you really want that quarterback to be stacked at least a little bit. There are some ways, like if you miss out on Deandre Hopkins, like you can get Kyler Murray. I've seen in some FFPC drafts like that going like the seventh, eighth, round like that seven eight turn where you get christian kirk and kyler murray well for for such a well-educated guy mike you, you seem like a you seem like a real sicko dude are, are you telling me <laughs> are, you, are you are you telling me that you uh that you're taking um is it so you're advocating maybe going to pass like going godwin and evans and brady in season long yeah, I think I think the double stack is fine. And that that might be more bigger tournaments than okay. your regular redraft leagues. But I think the double stack is fine cuz like what's happening is if Tampa Bay, let's say, is really efficient offensively, scores a whole bunch of points, which I think they might just be 
not because Brady's amazing, but just because the pass catchers they have are so talented. Right. Then what we're seeing is if Brady throws 35 touchdowns, you know, you're really likely to get a good return on investment in both Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And it might seem counterintuitive because people don't want to, because they'll say, well, only Chris Godwin's going to do really well, or only Mike Evans is going to do really well. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing is if that offense rolls, you know, both guys are probably going to do really well. Maybe both guys don't hit their absolute ceilings, Alex, but they're probably going to have one guy's probably going to hit their ceiling and the other guy's probably going to have a decent floor season. You know, you don't need everybody to hit their, you know, 99th percentile outcome. I think that's a mistake people make sometimes when they think about upside is they're trying to chase the, you know, the absolute tip top of the ceiling when really like a 75th percentile outcome for a lot of these quarterbacks and pass catchers involves them all doing a little bit better than ADP. And there's so many busts in drafts. We don't realize how high the bust rates are, you know, even in the early rounds that just having not a bust, even if it's not a huge hit is a pretty big deal. And having that concentrated on one offense that you feel good about, I think a double stack is, you know, definitely in the cards. If you can make the prices work, I want to go crazy chasing it. Okay. So, so my main, my main takeaways from my main takeaways from what you've taught us here are one, don't be afraid of stacking in season long leagues, especially when there's a heavy, whenever the payout structure is tilted heavily towards the, towards the top. And especially in best ball leagues, that might be parts of big tournaments. You can get even more, um, more, more aggressive about your. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards. As we know it, if you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Stacking options using expensive double stacks and stuff like this. But secondly, and may, perhaps more importantly, is that in season long leagues, if you do somehow find yourself, and I don't usually like this, but if you find yourself having to take a quarterback early, you should be stacking that quarterback. Yeah, I think the cost on the quarterback is so high early. Uh, you know, both actual cost and opportunity costs that if you're not stacking and getting some correlated upside with a receiver, because for that, I guess this is the way to think about it. If that quarterback's going to pay off that really expensive price tag, if Mahomes in the third right. round or late second, if he's going to have the type of season he needs to have to be worth that pick, you better believe, you know, either Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, or if you miss out on them, you know, maybe Sammy Watkins or McCall Hardman later, one of those guys is going to have a huge season relative to their ADP. There's just no way that Mahomes is paying off that premium price tag without that happening. And that's, and you want that correlation because the way, even in a regular league, the payout structures are. One other thing I found interesting was if you're struggling for a mid to late tight end to take, I found them to be, you know, especially correlated with how their quarterback does. So, you know, if you, got Ben Roethlisberger, maybe wait and take Eric Ebron late. You know, if you're unsure in that mid round, you know, you like Baker Mayfield, maybe you pair him with Austin Hooper, you know, right around that 10th round. And that's where the costs aren't high. When you start getting that ninth to 11th round where you can take kind of that last tier of tight ends and then the mid tier of quarterbacks. 
Perfect. Uh, it makes makes perfect sense and great great information there. You, you mentioned earlier Sammy Watkins and McCall Hardman. You and I talked before we started recording simply because we're we are not normal people who have normal small talk. We were talking about McCall Hardman's target projection <laughs> and and the conversations you've been having about that. I just I'd, I'd like to talk about that um, as you're doing your projections here. As you look at you know. As you look at kind of splitting up the pie between the Kansas City pass catchers, I found that to be sort of a tough one just because if you look at the alignment data from PFF and Sports Info Solutions, these guys line up all over the field. Um, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to know exactly what roles uh, these guys besides Tyree Kill are going to be playing. And Miko Hardman just did not get targeted last year. Do you bake in uh, an increase in target projection for McCall Hardman this year? Do you base it on – you, you base it on last year. Do you have any sort of insight about what you're going to be doing as far as projecting out that uh, Kansas City Chiefs passing game? It is difficult, like you mentioned. I think the hardest part is, like, my heartstrings want to give a lot of targets to McCole Hardman and mm-hmm. sort of be done with Sammy Watkins. But when Sammy was healthy and on the field last year, Hardman you know, saw really sparse volume allocation and. You know, he was so efficient and so good that we certainly are going to give him a bump. I have Sammy with more targets than a Hardman, but I, I moved them closer together than you know might even happen in the median case. But that Hardman upside is so appealing that I, I want to give him some love. I've got Watkins you know, around 80 targets, Hardman around 70 targets. And the difficult part with Hardman is his ADP, you know, it's really high right now. People are... Yeah. Yeah, people are chopping at the bit of the upside. And I feel like I'm factoring in that upside as much as I can. And I can't bring myself to take him in the eighth round. You know, that like like that's kind of where it's gotten right now. Uh, if you're playing in a more casual league and they're not as upside hungry, you can get them in the 10th or so. That's great. But there's still some guys with like really assured targets that you can get in the eighth to 10th round. You know, someone that might seem boring, like a Jamison Crowder, you know, the targets he's going to get there. Like those, maybe if you're playing in like a non PPR, half PPR, we're going to end up driving his ADP too, too high. Mike, if we don't quit <laughs> talking about Crowder, <laughs> this is, this is no good. What's happened with him lately. It feels like he's moving up too much for my liking. I don't, I don't like it. People I are catching on to this. Because I went from like not getting enough of him because yeah. I tried to be greedy and wait so long. I was like, nobody's on him. I can wait and take him. And sometimes I would get sniped. And now all of a sudden, yeah, it's moved up two rounds and I have to take him exactly sort of where I have him ranked. I can't get that ADP discount. But but guys like that, I don't know. Maybe I'm a boring fantasy player in that regard, but it's hard for me to take Hardman you know, over the assured targets of some of these guys, even considering the huge upside that he has if Sammy Watkins or someone goes down and he does step into you know, a more meaningful target role because one, you know, he's a speed demon out there, super efficient, but more importantly too, playing with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. For me, what I, my, my deal with Hardman has been, and what continues to be is it felt like he, man, he was drafted at a point in time when things were still very up in the air with Tyree kill. And if his situation with the NFL was going to settle itself out, if it's, you know, it felt to me like a pick that was Tyree kill insurance, pretty expensive Tyree kill insurance too. And once they get them both on the field, they say, well, if we get Tyree back, we're going to have two of these guys. They're redundant assets, but uh, you know, we'll get them both. We'll get them both involved. Whereas Sammy Watkins, you know, he's, he's going, you know, going a lot cheaper. Um, you know, the, 
in half of his games last season, he, he had as many targets as, you know, Nicole Hardman had in his biggest targeted game. And if, if I can get him as the cheapest member of this passing offense, you know, it's obviously one that I want to be in on, but it just feels like Sammy, you get him two rounds, two, three rounds later than Nicole Hardman. And, um, it might be the might be the might be the better option. It's just it's a really tough one to figure out. Another tough one to figure out for me, and uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was just <laughs> so I could pick your brain about what the hell you're doing. Is what do you do with the Giants' receptions? Because I can't remember uh, Evan Ingram. Go. I don't think there was a, a there was not a situation last year where Evan Ingram, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and Saquon Barkley were all healthy. To me, when you look at that, it means you know wheels up probably for Daniel Jones. But you know, since he's the quarterback that's going to be throwing to all these guys, but when you split them up, how, how do you like? I don't even know who to put in this slot between Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. I don't know how the I don't know how the distribution goes when you look at the you look at the Vegas sports books. It seems like, it, you know, whenever I went through and I averaged a bunch of these props together, it seems like the sports books are giving Darius Slayton the least of uh, all the of all of these guys as far as his percentage. Like he's being uh, right now, he has an over under prop of seven hundred twenty five, uh, seven hundred twenty five yards this season. While Sterling, well, they have Sterling Shepard at seven ninety five. They have Golden Tate at 725 as well, but with a lot more receptions. It's sort of – for me, it's impossible to figure out how this whole thing is going to go. Do you have any idea about who's going to lead the way there? How are you How are you making nuts and bolts of the Giants' receiving game? It's difficult to pin it down exactly, but I love a situation like this. As you mentioned, Daniel Jones didn't have these targets healthy at the same time at all last year. And I think what happens is the market is overrating the guy who was healthy, which was Darius Slayton. You know, he's the younger guy. He was there. He had some splash games with Daniel Jones, but there's no reason his ADP should be two, three rounds ahead of Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate. And, you know, it's not ahead of Evan Ingram, but I still think Ingram's is pretty cheap. I think the market's valuing, Slayton too much and the sports books kind of have it right where it's going to be a lot closer you know Shepard's my preferred top target ADP aside of the three receivers there I have Tate ahead of Slayton for the same reasons you mentioned you know similar yardage but he's going to catch a lot more balls and you want a cheap double stack I mean you can take Daniel Jones Sterling Shepard Golden mm-hmm. Tate you, you might be able to get all three in the double digit rounds you know you're looking for some cheap correlation and I have an Ingram, you know, you start getting him sixth, seventh. I know that mid tight end tier has really been disappointing the last several years. Those guys that we've sort of tried to escalate, you know, I think OJ Howard was one of them last year. Hunter Henry's gotten hurt. So it makes you a little gun shy on those mid single digit tight end prices. But I find myself gobbling up a lot of Evan Ingram and, as a result, I'm getting a decent bit of Daniel Jones just for that cheap correlation later. And he's got some rushing upside. So I'm pretty in on the giants because the pricing isn't accounting for all that missed time last year. It's like people are looking more or less at the statistics last year and over buying Darius Slayton and not buying Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard enough. Now, maybe I'm wrong and Slayton as the younger guy does emerge as the one there. And then I'm probably in trouble with the giant shares that I have, uh, but right now, the cost of the, these guys is the opposite of how I have them ranked for the most part. And I've got a lot of pieces of Tate, Shepard, and Ingram spread out. 
Well, I mean, it's it's good. It's 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 good affirmation to hear you say that after kind of seeing what the sports books are doing and doing and everything else. I just got I just got two more questions here for you, brother. I saw that um you're on your Twitter at two hats one mic on Twitter. That's the letter or sorry, the number two and then the number one at two hats one mic. You tweeted out yesterday. Um I wasn't able to look at the look at the whole thing or kind of draw any conclusions from it, but you were tweeting out some notable NFFC risers and followers. Were there were there any players in that format that you noticed rising or falling that kind of perked your attention a little bit or kind of kind of raised raised your eyebrows one way or the other? Well, the two biggest risers in the top 100 are Jamison Crowder and McCole Hardman, ironically. Who we've uh, talked about. <laughs> who okay. we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the fallers go, you know, Mostert's falling quite a bit on concern over his holdout. He's a guy I had Raheem Mostert as like a complete fade coming into this season, just mm-hmm. over concerns over split time in the backfield. He's not much of a pass catcher. And, you know, lo and behold, he threatens to hold out and I get my first Mostert share when he falls into the seventh round. So he's a guy where if people are panicking on him, you can get him the sixth, seventh, you know, I don't mind that. Like there I can see the upside. Uh, whereas when he was going as early as the fourth round, I thought, you know, that, that was a, a tough price to swallow. Especially also, now being, that they're paying him, especially now that they're paying him, you know, they're yeah. not paying him what he asked for, but they're, they, they've at least come to terms with something that they, at least his agent says he's happy. So, I, I, I mean, it's a, it's, it's probably, it could, it could kind of go back up again if that's what people have been downgrading him for, I suppose. You you probably got him at value those t- those times when he fell. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You've probably got like another week or so before like the market corrects itself and it goes back up and I'm back to fading him. But it's interesting. A couple guys like him that I'm fading are dropping and all of a sudden, maybe I'll buy a little bit. Tyler Higby's another one. Keyshawn Vaughn, another guy. Uh, The whole Keyshawn Vaughn versus Ronald Jones thing, I don't know where you sit on that, but I have a tough time buying Ronald Jones a round and a half earlier than Keyshawn Vaughn. I know I I saw a report that, you know, Vaughn's dealing with COVID now. I don't know how much that would affect things. It seems like they've got, he's going to get it over with. He's going to get it over with. It almost helps him. Yeah. It's it's, why I, I've like had a tough time figuring out what to do with the COVID angles. I know someone suggested going back to the Hardman thing that Sammy Watkins might opt out. Cause I think he's got one of Oh, what sickle cell or something. What, what, what there's something he's got like that. I know what you mean though. It's, it's something, something like that. I'll look into it. Yeah. It's, it's something like that. Yeah. So but yeah, so that's Higby is a guy that I was like purely fading. And now, you know, you, you start looking more eighth, ninth round when he's closer to the Jisiki tier and all those other guys, then, then I'm interested in buying the upside. So uh, I do find it interesting that some of these guys that were overhyped at the beginning of the off season seem to be scaling back now. So uh, the last question I want to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, here in a second, but first, I just wanted to make sure and remind everybody, uh, this is Mike Leone. You can find him on Twitter at Two Hats, One Mike. Uh, you can find his work at EstablishTheRun.com, where they're launching their NBA DFS package for the NBA Restart. Uh, you can go there and check out the different pricing and options that they have for you there. And also, of course, the draft kit. Guys like Evan Silva, uh, uh, Adam Levitan, or I'm sorry, Evan Silva, Adam Levitan, um, Really, really smart, sharp dudes, and and it goes to show how sharp they are that they're bringing on guys like like Mike to help 
help help help build their products. So make sure and go give them a look. And we certainly appreciate Mike's time. All right, Mike, one more question before we get you out of here, brother. Uh, I saw that you had a column. I, d- I did not read the column, but it was a column about zero RB. It's been such a such a <laughs> heavily debated topic every single year. It feels like this year with the people, everybody, you know, pricing up running backs. Um, running backs are going earlier and earlier and earlier. And it would seem like the year for this to be a year where people could go back to zero RB with that said, I hate the way my rosters look when I do it. I don't feel good about it. Is, is, is zero RB still dead or is it coming back this year? Like some kind of, some kind of zombie that we're going to have to deal with once again. I have the most boring lukewarm take, which is I think in best ball zero RB is dead a little bit, unless you're in, you know, a draft spot at the end of the first round, maybe where you get stuck and don't have much of a choice. All the research I've seen suggests that it's really hard to compete with teams that are taking running backs early because some of the advantages of zero running back are mitigated in best ball. You know, you can't work the waiver wire to pick up these running backs that increase in value throughout the year. Uh, the wide receiver edge that you get with the elite wide receivers is dampened a little bit because you can just take a bunch of wide receivers and the high variance week to week scoring of the wide receiver position. You can make up for not having the elite guy, but just having a lot of guys uh, at that position with the way you allocate your roster spots. And also zero RB is built to have a monster team at the end of the year. If you're playing in a regular best ball league that runs week one through 16 and week one counts the same as week 16. So you're bleeding points until your zero RB candidates materialize and hopefully give you good RB production. So I don't like it in regular best ball leagues. That said, if I'm playing in uh, a casual league or a regular redraft league uh, with weekly in season management, because people are going so running back crazy, I do find myself I get, I'm not forcing zero RB, but it seems to materialize a little bit more in those formats just because, you know, it's hard for me to take a Josh Jacobs in the second round over a Chris Godwin, you know, third round, you know, you're going to take Chris Carson or DJ Moore. you know, it's tough for me to take that running back over that wide receiver. And we do have some guys at the back ends of drafts that I like, you know, Tony Pollard, Zach Moss, you know, some of the younger rookies, even in the mid tier, you know, Kareem Hunt in the sixth round, if you can get him, I, I find him as a guy that's going to be usable week to week with huge upside if Nick Chubb gets down. So I don't think it's totally dead for redraft. Uh, I don't like it very much for regular best ball leagues, though.
your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.